0: What does changing your business actually look like as in starting a new business in a completely different industry and having a totally new offering to the one that you've had for maybe two years, five years, or even 10 years. And can you actually make a big leap like that and be successful? And what does it take to make not only the shift, but the mindset shift? If you're curious, then that's what this episode of Untapped is all about. Are you tapping into your potential? Are you then taking that potential and turning it into a purposeful and profitable online offering so you can impact more people, share your skills and expertise and make a dent in the world? And are you doing this while living a life that fills you with purpose, happiness and opportunities for growth? This may all sound too good to be true and I am telling you it isn't. These are the big questions that I seek to answer on The Untap Show, a podcast for go-getting humans who know that more is possible for them in life and who want to make real changes and live up to and beyond their human potential. In this weekly podcast, I share nuggets of wisdom on how to do this, combined with inspiring interviews with everyday humans who are doing this right now so that we can all learn from each other. I'm your host, Natalie Sisson, a best-selling author, podcaster, blogger, lifelong learner, triathlete and lover of handstands and who took her humble blog back in 2010 and somehow managed to turn it into a multiple six-figure business by creating different revenue streams based around my skills, talents and knowledge and I know that this is possible for you too. So every single week that's what you're going to hear here on this podcast to give you inspiration, motivation, strategy and tactics to do this for yourself and to lead a purpose-driven life. So let's dive in to this week's show. So in a moment, you're about to hear from a lovely lady called Julia Kelly, who I actually interviewed on my Suitcase Entrepreneur podcast many years ago when she had actually started a caricature business of live sketching for corporates. Strike forward just a few years, and she now runs a remote bookkeeping services company. How is that for a complete change in business and industry? So I wanted to interview her on what it takes why she did it and how she made that change and as you can imagine there's probably a whole bunch of questions that you have yourself around you know what do people think of you, how do you make the switch, do you keep your other business and all these good things. So let's dive in. So it is my pleasure to have the lovely Julia Kelly and I will say back on my podcast even though my podcast has morphed three times since you were actually on it and so have you in many ways. So fantastic to have you here and welcome
1: back. Thank you for having me. It's good to be back.
0: Now, when did we actually last speak? Can you remember the year? I know that sounds terrible, but I feel like I started my podcast in 2012, so sometimes I get mixed up.
1: I'm weirdly super good with dates and years. It was 2015.
0: There you go. Perfect. And please tell my lovely listeners what you were doing at that time, because it was really neat, actually, and it still is, but it was really unique how you would built this business from this skill set that you had and these experiences.
1: Well, thank you. Uh, At the time, 2015, let's see, I think it was in the summer, um, I had just graduated college. While I was in college, I had started a caricature business. So I had started off just working for minimum wage at a theme park, doing caricatures. After the experience, I got over one summer, turned it into just a little freelancing kind of side gig thing while I had a day job. And then uh, it just kind of morphed into something bigger. So I just kept on freelancing while I was in school. In 2013, I quit my day job and just kind of went full force with the caricatures. And it was able to support me the whole time I was in school, which was great. And then I graduated in 2015, and I had some offers to intern or work at CPA firms, and I realized I was making more as a caricature artist than I would as like a first-year CPA candidate. So that was kind of a no-brainer. So yeah, that's where we were four years ago. Wow. Uh-huh.
0: And I think you actually turned that into a, a six-figure business and then realized you couldn't scale much beyond you. So you started training other people to be able to do what you did, right?
1: Yeah, so that's still going. I have eight employees, artists mostly in Southern California, a couple in Vegas, a couple on the East Coast. Yeah, and it's still plugging along. We're doing gigs and drawing people and making them look like cartoons. That's so fantastic. I love it. Um, But you've recently taken
0: a bit of a turn, and we were talking before we jumped into this recording, that, like me, I feel like I'm seeing it more and more as we're especially going into this kind of future of workspace where things are changing so rapidly that we feel like we need to change with it. And also, there is a need to change with it and to constantly reskill to extend your experiences, to push your boundaries. So what has led you to go into your new business, which you can definitely tell people about, because I think it's such an interesting transition, especially for the creatives listening to this going, oh, I like art and I like drawing, et cetera. You've kind of gone the complete opposite, but in many ways replicated what you've done with this first business.
1: Yeah, so let's see, we talked in 2015 and I was doing the caricatures full-time and I did that for about exactly a year where I was doing nothing but the caricature business. And after a year, I just found myself not challenged. I found myself kind of feeling bored and isolated and lonely because I had, you know, other artists that were working for me, but I didn't really have any sort of a community. I didn't have somebody I was working with. And the nature of business is such that, like, unless you're just working on, you know, marketing or something all the time, every day, like, you just have these long stretches of time when there's not work happening, because most of the gigs happen on the weekend, or you have one, you know, week-long gig, and then it's silent for a week. So I found myself with a lot of time, and I was getting kind of bored. I didn't feel like I had kind of people on my team, on my side. I didn't have anyone to, you know, hold me accountable, to motivate me. And I thought that I was a lone wolf most of my life. And then when I finally became a lone wolf, I realized that, in fact, I am not. Um, so, an <laughs> observation about yourself. So, um, kind of my big uh, aha moment came when one evening I was watching The Office, the TV show, and I caught myself thinking like, oh man, wouldn't it be great to work in an office like that? And if, if you've seen The Office, you realize like what a ridiculous... Uh, thought that is to have, (laughs) because it's a fairly miserable place with a lot of unhappy people. So that's when I knew that it was time to change, not change direction, but introduce something new into my life. So anyway, the end of the story is I ended up starting a bookkeeping and accounting company. And the way that happened was in 2016, one of my childhood friends who I had actually worked with before in my previous job, her and her husband moved in next door. And so we were out to dinner one day and she was uh, telling me how she wanted to start her own thing because she was working as an accountant and a bookkeeper for another company as an employee. She wanted to start her own thing, but she didn't have, you know, marketing experience or business development experience, and so I thought it was a perfect opportunity because I had all this time. I had some experience, you know, growing a business, and so a couple months later, we started DDA, uh, which is a doing business as. It had a terrible, terrible name. It was jndebookkeeping.com, which is hard to say and even harder to spell, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But we just got started, and then a couple, I think about six months later, we formed our LLC and our partnership, and going from there. Oh my god, it's so amazing. I
0: mean, you couldn't think of anything more disparate than, you know, the art world, which is still in business, (laughs) through to accounting, but obviously you'd had that experience in, in university and in your studies, and now you had a team, or you had a partner in crime. How has that been having going from sort of that solo business where you were managing people that you trained up to, you know, working with one of your childhood friends and in a completely new realm.
1: It has been so great. I really think it's one of the best decisions I've made in my life because we're a fantastic team. We are on the same page when it comes to our mission and our goals and our priorities. Uh, I can't think of a single time where we've had any sort of a substantial disagreement about where the company was headed. And now we have four employees. They're all, uh, one of them is here in the office and the other ones are remote. And now we have a team and it's just so fantastic. You know, we do Christmas parties together, we go sailing together. I'm just surrounded by really awesome, wonderful people. And you realize that, well, at least I did. I'm just much happier when I'm in a sort of traditional type of work environment. I find myself a whole lot more productive. Mm, Yeah, we were having that chat. Is that your office? (laughs)
0: That
1: I think <laughs> yes.
0: We're on video for those listening. Um, yeah, and it must be so neat. And you've actually created your own office, but funkier and cooler and not like the show. And you come into work and you're able to do that together, but you're also able to work, I'm sure, remote, flex from cafes, wherever you want, really. But it's the point that you have that environment and you have actual team members there with you in person and the other ones remote, which is so neat. How are you finding the shift? I guess, of skill sets and, and how are you scaling this business? Because I imagine that with bookkeeping, it could become quite, you know, dependent on the clients that you have. So you talked about visions and goals that you're on track. What are your plans for making this scalable
1: without being burnt out? Yeah, well, the wonderful thing about, you know, having any sort of a business, in today's internet age is that technology makes it so easy to do more with less. So I have no coding skills. I have no, you know, website building skills. So, but you're allowed to, or you're able to kind of piecemeal all of these different solutions together to allow you to do awesome stuff. Like we use, you know, all kinds of Shortcuts and Zapier hacks or Zapier, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, you know, shortcuts and processes and uh, ah, sorry, I'm like ugh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it's all good. I call it um, Zapier as well, even though there's apps. So that's no, that's perfect. Just go back on that one thing and we'll just um, yes, I did it again
1: because so that was perfect. I'm sorry, what was the question again?
0: Oh, just that you said, well, you were just saying we have all sorts of hacks, so you're using different tools and technology and integration, so maybe just start from there. Oh, sure. And I think it was, you were talking about how technology has just made it super easy.
1: Right. To, be able to scale. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so we have all these types of different hacks that we use. We use Zapier, we use, you know, QuickBooks Online and all of these tools that, that, Make it easier to do more with less. So we, we have a pretty good team here. We have three remote bookkeepers. We have kind of an intern function person who, who comes in. We have an office manager. And I'm pretty confident that we can scale revenue quite a bit without having to increase our workforce. Of course, it's always a work in progress to figure out how to be more efficient, but that's just the great thing about there's so many tools and APIs and hacks and programs available that allow you to do that nowadays, which is pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, it is amazing actually. And my next question to you is given that you're in a new area and you're in this, I assume that your clients are, or actually I shouldn't assume, are you dealing with small businesses, entrepreneurs, freelancers, or are you going for more corporate clients and kind of becoming their their financial arm in their business? Who's your target
1: market? Yeah, so we've actually had some uh difficulty kind of nailing that down. So far, we don't really have a niche. So our clients range from you know YC Combinator startups to small little marketing agencies, to speakers and trainers. I'd say generally in the small business category and they all have to be using QuickBooks online because that's what we use. But, you know, we've tried niching down to, okay, we're just going to, you know, market to coffee shops. We're just going to market to this and that. And so far, maybe I just haven't hacked it yet, but I've just found that our clients just kind of tend to come from everywhere. And at the end of the day, accounting is accounting, no matter what the business is. So we haven't exactly found our niche in terms of industry. I think we've definitely found our niche in terms of the type of people that we like to work with. They tend to be technology focused, technology savvy, the ones that allow us to do our jobs without, you know, thinking that just because they know how to use QuickBooks, they know how to do accounting because those are not the same things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, it's, I think it's definitely more of a attitudinal type of fit than a particular industry that we've kind of niched into.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a really beautiful point that you've made there because there is a lot of pressure or I at least talk to a lot of my customers and clients about understanding a niche and not going so far wide that you're serving anybody and everybody. But what I really like there is you've kind of rolled out who's your ideal customer. And that was a book that I wrote many years ago um, is, you know, really understanding who your red carpet customers are, the ones who treat you well, as well as you treat them, who let you do your job, who understand that you're the expert here, who value your services and the solution that you're giving. They don't try and mess or interfere with that and the biggest point that you put there in this case for you is that they're tech savvy. They get it. They want to work with, you know, accountants who have all the online tools. They're not sort of based in history using archaic things and tons of paperwork. So I like that it's more about the client and who they are and the purpose and the impact that they're trying to make in their business. And you get to then stand behind them and, and help them do a better job. So that's just a good little differentiator for those of you listening in who might be struggling with this. And, and, and narrowing down a niche can be so so difficult for people to do. I do think it serves a purpose, but as you were saying with accounting, almost every single person needs it, whether it's for personal accounting or business accounting, company accounting. So yeah, it's all about the people for you, I'm sure. Uh, One thing I'd love to know is, so I've been delving a lot into the future of work and skills that are going to be relevant in the future and industries that are going to be affected by technology and automation. And the financial services is a really interesting one, as I'm sure you know. And a lot of accountants are feeling the pinch a little bit because in many companies, they're starting to be replaced by smart systems, by technology tools and AI But where the value is seen in the work that you do is in the actual advice that you give and the financial advisory role, I guess. What are you seeing in what you're doing or are you nervous about that or seeing any sort of areas where you feel you will always be valuable as a human being to your clients that can't be replaced by technology?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. It's definitely on my radar. I am thinking of ways where we can become more immune to automation because the robots are just going to get more and more effective. And if your work is robotic, that means you're going to become less and less effective. So there's a couple areas in which I feel pretty confident that a good bookkeeper or accountant or CPA is able to become really invaluable to their client, no matter what the technology is. And the first one is trust, because when it comes to money, you know, people are not going to hire a robot if they don't trust. Right. So Here's a good example. So there's this huge bookkeeping company called Bench. They're this, you know, they they have tons of startup money. They do tons of advertising. I'm not really worried about them because they're a technology focused company, which means that the solutions that they do for their clients, because they're so huge, and because they're on such a large scale, those solutions have to be technology driven. Now with a company like us, we are people driven. So the type of client that would go to Bench is going to be completely different from the type of Client that comes to us. My clients are emailing and texting and calling. Some of them just need handholding if they're, you know, worried about their bank balance or they're worried about this check didn't go out or not. So we we really do give them white glove service that I don't think you're going to get with a company that is just super focused on the technological aspect of things. And it's also personal relationships as well. So as we get a personal relationship with our client, they come to trust us more and more and they hand off more and more functions to us. So, you know, we might start doing just the bookkeeping and, you know, closing up everything at the month end, but I would say probably, you know, more than 50% of our clients as we've had them over the years have handed off more and more things to us. Bill pay, invoicing, cash flow analysis, forecasting, right? These are all things that, you know, you can kind of piece together with technology probably, but I feel like we just become such an integral part of the running of their business that I'm, I'm not really worried that we're going to be replaced by machines anytime soon.
0: Yeah, and that's a perfect thank you for pointing all those things out. At the end of the day, there's going to be people who are super tech-focused and just want it streamlined and done, but there's always going to be that human-to-human contact and connection that is irreplaceable. Even when technology becomes super smart and you can talk to a robot as if it's a person, I still think you know there's the qualities that are uniquely human, like empathy, creativity, intuition, that and even an imagination that you're going to be able to deliver, that AI, for example, might not be able to think so imaginatively about a position they might be in. And we're seeing here as well, by here, I mean, in New Zealand, the banking industry, a lot of the banks are starting to realise that their tellers, you know, who are often a customer facing role and doing a lot of the admin are actually going to become more financial peers and advisors. So when people walk in to banks here, they don't look like banks anymore. They look like co-working spaces, cafes, and there's, you know, a couple of people milling around, Hey, what do you need? And then they might usher you to not even a desk, but just like a booth or a pod. It's fascinating. It's cool. It's like a totally different space yet. People still go into banks because they still want that interaction. They want to know, as you said, that they trust the person that things are, going to be handled and it's just interesting to see the face of those roles going from what was almost more automated before like here's the information i'm typing it in even though I'm a person typing it into, actually, I'm here to have a chat with you and understand your financial situation and see how I can help. So it's really cool that you're thinking ahead in that space because I do feel, I was just having a fantastic chat in last week's episode with Frances Valentine and she was talking about how she's going into companies and there is a certain demographic of leaders and managers who are sitting there kind of with their arms crossed and going, you know, this isn't going to affect us or we're kind of above this or, you know, it's in the future and they're going to be the ones
1: left behind in, in a very, very short space of time. Yeah, it's absolutely something that I think about a lot. Like, I certainly don't think the art industry is immune to it by any means. We're always having to think of more and more ways to be one step ahead of automation. And the fact of the matter is, that's what you want to be. Like, if, if you can be replaced by a machine easily, you need to take a good hard look at the services that you're providing. Because if you can do better, if you can become a more integral part of your client's, you know, solutions... If you're just kind of doing rote monkey work, yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense that you would be replaced by technology. So definitely something we think about a lot.
0: That's awesome to hear.
1: And hopefully those
0: listening in are thinking the same. So I've got a question for you because you mentioned that in your first year of running your caricature business that you got bored. There was less challenge. Um, You created a system around it. You knew it worked. You knew people needed it. Do you feel that in the new business that you've created with your friend, that because there's more complexity and there's a range of clients who all have different needs and are wanting different things from you, that it's more exciting or it feels more challenging to you? Do you feel that it's got that complexity and challenge and future growth kind of aspect to it that makes it something that you're going to be in for a lot longer?
1: Well, I'll tell you what the most exciting aspect of the business is, and this is why I knew I was never going to grow the caricature business very huge, is because the caricature business does not have a recurring revenue model built into it. So you can make good money in it, but basically every month you're clawing your way back up from zero because there's no guarantee that your clients are going to hire you again for the next event. They might want to do something else. Caricature is kind of a novelty and a lot of these events are just one-off, you know, weddings, birthday parties, et cetera. So that was the part of the business where... I was very dissatisfied, and I knew if I was ever going to start anything, it was going to have recurring revenue built into it. So honestly, for me, just because I'm a numbers uh, person and I like to do financial forecasting, the recurring revenue is definitely the most exciting part of the business because each new client is so exciting because that means that you're one step closer to your you know, monthly recurring revenue goals, or your yearly recurring revenue goals. So that's definitely the main appeal of a business like this for me. And then I am a numbers person. I love accounting. It's actually tough for me to step away from doing the work in the business to working on the business because I enjoy it so much. Mm, Interesting.
0: Do you still do any drawing? I know it wasn't always like a passion for you, but do you still do any of that for having some mindfulness time and tapping into another area of your brain? And just because I know that there's that left and right brain thing where, you know, different ways in which you can access it. Do you still do any drawing sometimes just to when you're in a creative zone? Well, I definitely still do.
1: Uh, I still do gigs. For okay. Sure, so I do. I do caricatures. I just did a gig for my neighbor last week. We're going to Maryland next month for a big four-day event to be doing a bunch of digital caricatures. I don't do it for fun anymore because doing caricatures feels like work. What I do for fun now is I sculpt. So I sculpt busts, figures all kinds of different stuff that's like my happy me time wow so I think
0: a lot of people must be listening going hang on a minute how do you do all this do you mind sort of giving a breakdown of of how you spend your weeks um, across the businesses and across the things outside
1: of work that you know make you you Mm -hmm. yeah I mean it helps to not have kids I'm just gonna say that (laughs) kids are wonderful but from what I hear they do tend to take up a lot of your time So the way that I kind of juggle everything is what I've done is put JK expressions pretty much on autopilot. The business kind of runs without like, I'd say it gets maybe 10% of my input Mm-hmm. Uh, which is all it needs to run so I have this fantastic assistant who started off doing very you know basic kind of tasks and she's been with me for a couple of years and she's just grown in the role and she's fantastic so she does basically everything for JK expression she answers emails she books the events she sends the contract she creates the invoices she does all the pre show and post show things that need to happen you know posting blog posts and everything else so pretty much all I need to do with that one is show up and draw for the gigs that I choose to do and then answer any urgent you know, questions that need my input. So if I was actually running the two businesses, I would be a, a complete mess. But because, because the caricature business is kind of really dialed in, I'm able to do both. Yeah, she
0: sounds fantastic and like a gem. And as you say, you've been able to operationally take yourself out of that and hand over because you have great systems. And um, yeah, that sounds like a perfect business ticking along. And then how much time do you spend? I know you just said that you, you love doing the work. So sometimes you need to pull yourself out of it to work on it. So do you have sort of set times and days when you're coming into the office or do you really just sort of fit it in around your clients and your lifestyle?
1: Well, uh, this is my home office, so uh-huh. all I have to do to go to the office is open the door. <laughs> um, I definitely could improve in being more structured in how I do the work. You know, I'm, for instance, I love the idea of just having a day or you know a couple mornings a week where you're just going to work on marketing or you're just going to work on you know some sort of growth aspect of the business. I'd say that's definitely my weak point: is letting my inbox kind of run my life. And using it as a to-do list instead of your actual, you know, long-term important but not urgent goals. So one thing that's helped me, you can't see it, but directly above my screen, I have a bunch of post-its stuck with all of the important marketing things that I'm supposed to do that are not urgent, but that are absolutely going to move the business Forward And then I get to check them off when that happens. So that aspect of it, it's kind of a work in progress. I definitely lean more towards just doing the bookkeeping and the accounting and taking care of clients. But I am the partner in charge of business development. So I'm constantly having to pull myself back into, you know, growth mode. And I think that's the beauty
0: of any business is just the different hats that you wear and making time out to put each of those hats on. And as you said, blocking out time to focus on those activities because for you, as you've mentioned, that recurring revenue is key and fantastic, and a little bit of strategic business development every single week ensures that you have a, a good funnel of clients coming in, and then you can focus on doing the work that you love. But it is a tricky thing to balance between, because when work's really busy, the last thing you feel like doing is you know, going after new business, yet there'll be a point at which you really need that back in. So as you said, just managing and balancing that and making sure it's a priority, it's really, really key. And your business partner's focus,
1: if you are doing the biz dev and sort of marketing, what's hers? So she is the accountant extraordinaire. She had about eight years of accounting experience before she joined the company. So she solves all the hard problems, basically, when it comes to And, you know, anything that's beyond my pay grade, she's the one who's handling, she has the more managerial role. So she approves probably 80% of the financials every month. She keeps on top of all the deadlines. She makes sure that everybody's questions are being answered. So we have over 40 clients. So it's a, uh, it's. Pretty much a full-time job for her to just make sure that everybody is, you know, happy and the financials are correct. So we've had a couple uh, part-time bookkeepers for the last year. We just last month hired our first full-time 40-hour week hire, and Mm it has been fantastic. Yay, I bet. Oh my gosh, how exciting. And what's your longer
0: term vision, just for people listening, because I think, you know, you started this off, you had a conversation over dinner, you just launched into it. It's growing and growing. It's great. What's your longer term vision with business?
1: Well, I am really excited about hitting seven figures. That would be absolutely fantastic. And we definitely have a, a plan and a goal to get there. Growth at all costs is not something that my partner and I are interested in. We're both very aligned on client satisfaction and happiness comes first. And we're happy to, you know, grow a little slower than if we were to just go all out and get a bunch of clients all at once and then have a big churn rate and have everybody be unhappy. So I'd say definitely growing at a rate in which we are able to keep our clients very happy and make them raving, you know, fans of us is definitely the goal. Yeah. I love that actually. I
0: just saw that Seth Godin, one of my favorite informal advisors online, posted about just find those 10 people. Find mm-hmm. your next 10 people in your tribe. Ask them what they need, service that need. Don't try and, you know, grow beyond belief. Just start with the 10 and do an outstanding job. And it it really minimizes I think that thing to have to try and go big and go hard straight out of the gate and just to focus on who are the next 10 and then after that those 10, if they love what you do, will tell another 10 and it ripples out from there. And I, I know when I'm working with my clients, they're often like, how do I get this you know, huge list or how do I get in front of all these people? And I was like, you don't need to. You need up to five people. 10 would be great, but you really just need to actually start having conversations with the very people that you want to work with and see where they're at and what their problems are. And it absolutely like blows me away the amount of people who operate in silo do their research and never actually reach out to the very people that they want to help so I love that you do and that's exactly what you're focused on Uh, and it seems like such a no-brainer that everybody would do that but we do get a little bit wrapped up in our heads and sometimes maybe our egos and what we think we know best or maybe it's because we're scared and we don't really want to hear the truth but yeah it really fascinates me when people don't go to the very people they want to help so congrats on doing that Um, well thank you yeah Have you got any, I guess, parting words of advice for people who maybe already have a freelance gig, a career, a business, and maybe they're at a point where you were, they've sort of systemized it, maybe a little bored, got the next big thing um, coming. What do you sort of give advice when you talk to friends now who are in that situation of, I want something new, I want another challenge, um, I want to be stretched, but I'm not quite sure. Um, Yeah, What advice do you give to your friends and peers?
1: Interesting. Well, I tell them what works for me is, get a business with recurring revenue model built into it. I mean, it may not work for everybody, but for me, that was the most exciting aspect and the most motivating aspect of starting this business because your growth just really starts to speed up. So that's really exciting. As far as, you know, other ways to kind of break out of a rut, my standard advice is always when you're in a rut, you don't know what to do, go external. So don't just sit there pondering your problems or doing web research, thinking that you're going to. Come up with a solution like get off your butt and go talk to actual people face to face about anything, like, go to a business owner that you admire and, you know, ask them, hey, can we have a conversation about X, Y, Z for a minute or go talk to somebody in a completely different career, have an informational interview and ask them, hey, what's it like to be a, you know, underwater basket weaver or something like that? I think that conversations with actual people really, really, really spark creativity. They always have for me. Anytime where I'm stuck and I don't know what to do, I've never found the solution by just kind of sitting there ruminating on it. As soon as I get out the door and go talk to somebody about it even just talking out loud and having a conversation new thoughts start to come up and start to get new ideas new creative solutions new pathways so that would definitely be my advice yeah 100 percent.
0: love that advice both for when you're trying to solve somebody's problem and come up with solutions, products, services, and also when you're in a rut. it's always about people. it's always about connection and getting different perspectives and sparking that creativity. Thank you so much, Julia. It's been a blast having you back, and I'm super thrilled for your new business and the existing business, and I know that there'll be other things um coming out the woodworks for you in the future because you're definitely a creative yet focused and systemized person so great skills to have when you're, um, you know, juggling what you want to do and how you want to show up in the world and the impact you want to make.
1: Well, thank you so much. This was a lot of
0: fun. So I hope you enjoyed the episode with Julia. I just love how calm and enthusiastic and optimistic she is about this and also just how she's game to experiment and take the leap. Even when she had a successful business, she just knew it wasn't quite right for her. She knew it wasn't the right calling. It wasn't perfectly aligned. And now she's ready Enjoying working in this new business. And you can also see that she's applied systems and processes and thinking across completely different industries that still work. So if you've enjoyed this, can you do me a favor and just share the episode? If you're on one of your own podcast players or apps, if you're on Stitcher or iTunes, just hit the share button and send it to one friend who you think could really use this information and would really help them out right now. Otherwise, please come across to com forward slash love. I haven't talked about this for a while, but there is a way that you can actually pledge a little amount of money to me to say, hey, Natalie, I appreciate this podcast. I appreciate that you keep it advert free. And I haven't been talking about that at all, but actually... Any amount of pledge that you make on there, monthly or one-off, is going to go straight back into this podcast, to my team. It's going to go to getting better guests on the show, to delivering more of the content from it in different ways to you. And it's just really helpful and appreciated because, you know, I fund this podcast. And if you love it, you can have a little say and contribute to it as well. So that's nataliesisson.com forward slash love. You know what? I'm going to type that into my browser right now and make sure that that is true. Fingers crossed. Oh, yeah, it is. Awesome. You'll even see a little photo of me being thankful for you. Uh, You know what? That landing page could do a lot of work. So why don't you go to it and tell me what you'd prefer to see on there and what you'd love to see. Um, It is supported through a really cool app called Press Patron, who support great content, creators and independent journalists to produce more awesome work and i'm an investor of press patron Uh, i really believe in them they're a new zealand company and they support independent journalism And I think they're doing a fantastic job. And they're basically allowing these cool sites around the world now. They started off in New Zealand, but around the world to be able to pay their staff team, their writers, these journalists, rather than have to rely on any advertising. And people who want to see the content and appreciate all the hard work that goes into putting out content and podcasts and articles and research and white papers, you name it. It just is amazing. Some of these companies have gone from zero revenue around that and really struggling to be able to pay their staff and their team to being able to do it with so much more ease because their readers and their supporters are saying, yeah, we value what you put out. Keep on doing what you're doing. So once again, nataliesisson.com forward slash love if you'd like me to keep on doing what I keep on doing without any adverts. Tune in every single week, every single Wednesday, Untapped goes live, so let your friends know.